Father, we, uh, we look forward tonight to what you're gonna do, and, and I think especially as, as Paul kind of wraps this letter up, it, it seems to me this is like, like just a rapid fire of thoughts must be just triggering off in his, in his brain as he's writing this. He just like threw all this stuff down. And I pray that, Lord, just as that first group that, that heard this and, and read it, how it must have impacted their lives and spoken to them. God, I pray that tonight this would speak to our hearts and God would encourage us and strengthen us. And, and Lord, as we, we gather here, don't let it just be a time where, where, Lord, we're just doing our Christian duty and doing a Christian thing and being religious, but let it be a time where we meet with our God, where our God speaks to our hearts. Lord, and we can, we can be men and women. We're just encouraged in our faith as these people must have been when they, they read this and we would be strengthened, God, to be the men and women that you've chosen us to be. So bless this time, I pray, and we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, Paul here kinda, kinda as he's wrapping this up, I look at this as, as just kinda looking at what does it mean to be in a Christian community, this thing we call church. How are we supposed to do this? What are things we're supposed to do with each other? And how do we function together? And it seems like Paul's ending up this letter and it's like, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm, I'm reading too much into it, but it seems like so much is going off in his head. He's just like, boom, 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 boom. And here's the thing, there are over 15 commands given in these verses. That's a lot of stuff to keep track of, right? We have a hard time keeping track of the 10 commandments. You got 15 rapid fire coming at you. Now, I listen, I think that if we pay attention and we listen to these things, I think we can be a better church for it. Or let's just use this term tonight. Let's say we can be a better community because that's what we are, right? A community of believers. And, and so we could, be, we could be so much better if we'll simply believe God. Now, I found in my life, and I think I'm like a lot of you, that oftentimes we get something in our head and then we go to the Bible so that we can say God approved it. And we kind of like that. Instead of going to the Bible and finding out what he wants, we kind of find out what we want and then we want him to stamp approved on it and we find something to do that. So tonight we're gonna find out, man, you can't do that in this passage. You gotta, you know, you gotta be somebody, and here's the thing, you're either going to go through this passage and go, yes, or you're gonna go through this passage and you go, no way, I'm out of here. So let's, let's pick it up here in verse 12. He says, and we urge you, brethren, now I just wanna stop there, because here's what's important. In this passage, he's talking to the brethren and sisterin. You know, we might say it that way, right? It's not just the mills, but here's what I want us to understand. He's not talking to leaders. He's not talking to pastors. He's talking to us as a community of believers. I think he is talking to leaders and pastors, and I think he's also, but he's talking to the body. So here's what he's saying. Hey, guys, Christian community, I'm urging you, are you kind of getting a sense? Listen, I think Paul in his heart is going, man, this is something that's serious. This is something I want us to pay attention to. And I don't think it's just the first few verses. I think it's all of this. 
hey, I urge you to pay attention to what I'm about to say because what I'm about to say can make a difference in your life as a believer. Now, a lot of this, I believe, we can, all of this we can apply individually, but also all of this we can apply corporately as a group. It was interesting when I was reading different commentaries, some of the commentaries say, well, you know, he's really speaking more to the church at large. And then the next commentary say, well, you know, he's speaking to us as individuals. And I'm thinking the whole time, I think he's speaking to us as individuals involved in the community. And this is what individuals in the community look like, which makes what the community looks like, right? So he says, I urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. So here's what he's saying. First of all, he starts off, how do we treat leadership? How do we treat those who God has placed over us in positions that are, are over us? We need to what? First of all, listen, first of all, he says, you need to understand and you need to, to recognize that what they're doing is a labor. They're ministering to us. They're serving us. So we need to recognize that. We need to understand that as, we, as we're thinking about this. And then also, listen, also, he says, listen, they labor among you and they're over you and... They admonish you. A lot of us really don't like to be, we don't like that whole idea of being admonished, do we? I mean, someone comes and says, hey, I see this in your life. Why don't you work on it? And here's what I find often happens. But you don't understand what's going on. Oh, so our circumstances dictate how we act and our character. Shouldn't be that way. Our character should dictate what happens in the circumstance. But a lot of us do that. And we need to understand, usually when, when a leadership, and at least I know in our fellowship, if leadership approaches somebody, it's for a good reason. It's not like we, you know, it's not like, uh, and, and I don't know how many of you know, we meet every Tuesday morning as a staff. And then as pastors, we kind of hang out for a while and talk to each other. And we don't sit in there going, hmm, who should we bust this week? Let's go get them. It's never like that. And so people kind of think that. And I found in my years of ministry that usually you start and you go to somebody and if their heart's right, boom, there's an instant change. If their heart's wrong, you all of a sudden end up in a battle. And you know what? I'm getting too old to fight. So I just go, fine. I told you. You deal with it. If you're mad at me, be mad at me, but it's okay. So listen, but he says, listen, so we need to recognize those who labor among us, who are over us in the Lord, and admonish them. And then he says this, and we need to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Now, I, I got to tell you from my perspective, I feel extremely loved in this fellowship. And it's a good thing. I know, I have, I have pastor friends that don't feel so loved in their fellowships. They feel like it's a big battle and people are against them. In this fellowship, man, this has been, I, I remember years, of, well, I remember when I first came to this church. 30 years ago almost. It's been a while. And I remember when I first came and the difference in the ministry in this fellowship versus the ministry that, that I was doing in Bisbee. And part of the, you know, I, I've talked sometimes, what happened in Bisbee was kind of a flop. And 
it was, it was like a lot of their pastor's fault. I was the pastor, so it was a lot of, of inexperience and stuff going on, but it was a battle. It wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't fun ministry, and I remember when I came to Calvary Chapel, Sierra Vista, and, and uh, Gaynell and I, uh, one night, we're, we're getting ready for bed, and she goes, you know what? These people really love us. And I go, I know. That's nice. And then I went to the director. I, w- I went back to the Bible college and, and I was talking to the director and he had, a, he had a whole attitude that he built in me for ministry that wasn't good, wasn't a good uh, representation of ministry. And I remember I went to him and I said, hey, Rich, man, I changed churches. I went to this church and they really loved me and it's good. And I'll never forget what he did. He put his hand on my shoulder and he goes, my son, this too shall pass. And here's what I told him. I said, no way. I'm never gonna let that happen again. And you know what? To this day, I can say this church really loves me. I know that. And that's a good thing, right? So so I don't have to say, you know, I don't have to say this part, esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, because you're doing that. But look at this last part, because I think this is important. Look at the end of verse 13. But, uh, but I said, but it's not there. Be at peace among yourselves. Oh, have you ever noticed that when there's something going on between the leadership and the body, like there is no peace And usually what happens, here's what I've found when there's division and dissension and bickering and stuff going on, somebody in that situation is self-centered. Could be the leadership, could be the body, could be both. But here's what he's telling us. If if we will do what he said in 12 and, and walk in those things, we're gonna have peace. And again, I believe we have that in our fellowship. I don't think our fellowship really struggles with leadership and, and the way we function. I, at least, listen, if we are struggling, no one tells me. So that's kind of good, right? You might talk among yourselves. Maybe you're talking about it out in a parking lot, and I'm gonna tell you something, I really don't care. So you can talk about it out there. Just don't bring it in here. But listen, I think we're doing good. So now we move on, and verse 14, now we exhort you, brethren. I want you to, uh, again, understand, who's he talking to? The body, right? You might underline that in your Bible. You might pay attention. So the first part was the body, right? And then now he's talking about the body, and here's what he says. Here's some ministry that you and I need to pay attention to. He says, now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, and be patient with all. Oh, hey, we're supposed to be caring about one another. We're supposed to be going to those unruly. I think most of us know what unruly is, right? I call them jerks for Jesus, right? And we need to go, and we need to talk to them, And we need to tell them, dial it back a little bit, pay attention to what you're doing, and watch what you're doing, and quit, listen, quit causing so much chaos. I have said before, I love new believers. Now, new believers make bigger messes than even unruly people. New believers like, right? But it's so exciting. Why? Because you're watching them grow and change and do stuff. It really stinks when someone's been walking with the Lord for 20 years, and they're doing that stuff. He says, warn them. Listen, go to them, not just, and here's the point. He doesn't say leadership, go to them. He says, brethren, we exhort you 
to warn the unruly. Have you ever been in a conversation maybe where someone's getting a little unruly and have you ever said, hey, we don't do that. Maybe you do that, but we don't do that. And we're not gonna have that and we're not going to go there. Do you know what that would do for the fellowship? It'd change it radically. And not only that, listen, not only are we to, that, to do that, so we, we have that exhortation, so we're to warn those who are unruly, but comfort the faint-hearted. Now, it's interesting, the, the faint-hearted and the weak here, man, the commentaries go all over the place. I don't think it's that hard. I think the faint-hearted are the people who, man, they're, they're just, you know what, they're worried about their salvation. They're like the person who's like, man, they're just struggling in their walk and they're, they're worried about it. And hey, we need to come alongside and pick them up, right? About the worst thing we can do is hand them a brick while they're sinking in the, in the pond, right? We need to come alongside. Nothing bothered me more. When I was a new believer and I was listening to all the holiness guys, I always felt like when I, when I listened to these guys who were telling me how holy I needed to be, I would like get my nose above water and then I would listen to one of them and, and it's like they put a big old cinder block on my head and I'm going blah, 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 blah. We need to pick those people up. We need to encourage them. We need to be those people, we're gonna, we're gonna be with a faint-hearted. Now, when he talks about the weak here, I don't think he's talking about, some people said he was talking about weak physically because the faint-hearted are, 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 you know, quote, weak in their faith. But when I think when Paul talks about weak in faith, you gotta go back to Corinthians, you gotta go back to Romans. Usually when he's talking about weak in faith, you know who he's talking about? Some people are always shocked. He's talking about the legalist. He's talking about those people who always have a list of rules, you know? I don't smoke, I don't chew, and I don't go with the girls who do, right? Kind of that kind of thing, you know? And, and, and they have this big list of rules, and those are the people who do not understand their freedom in Christ. That's not to say you'd smoke and chew and, and, and go with the girls who do, but listen, listen, he's saying this. We need to be people who, hey, we're gonna come with those weak people, and we're going to be beside them. We're not gonna push them out. We're, not gonna, we're gonna come beside them and we're gonna help them out. So I, the faint-hearted are those people who are struggling with their salvation. The weak are the ones we kinda, kinda prop up and go, hey, come on, you don't need that list of rules. Because of your relationship in Jesus Christ, you have freedom not bondage, and you have freedom to be who you are as God created you. And we're gonna get more into that in a minute as we go on. So listen, freedom doesn't always just mean you're free to do whatever you want. Freedom means you're free from certain things. So we come alongside those, and then, and then at the end of this, be patient with all. Hey, we gotta be patient with the unruly people. That's never fun, right? You always wanna just say just. Go sit in your car. Jesus loves you. It's, it's easier to be patient with the faint-hearted, right? But sometimes, man, they get so needy and whiny. And, you know, I'm like a guy, I'm not, I'm not that compassionate guy. If you get needy and whiny, I'm gonna run. I don't like that whole thing. And legalists, I can deal with legalists because I came from there, so I can kind of handle that. But be patient with what? not just the ones that fit in, with all of them. And then, even greater than that, how about we be patient with each other? How about we give each other a little bit of space? 
How about we not be judging each other all the time about what we see or what happened or what might have been said? How about we do that? Things would be a lot different, wouldn't it? Wouldn't the landscape of the, of the Christian community look a lot brighter if we did that? Now, he's still not done. Listen, he's just like, I read this and I go, dude, that's a lot. And here's what Paul says, oh, I haven't even begun, right? I haven't even started. And then he tells us, here's the big one. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. That's a tough one. Somebody says something? Yeah. And I know what you guys do on Facebook. Mm Mm-hmm. You like, they said that? Somehow people think in Facebook they're like behind a curtain or something. Do you know your name's on there? I thought I'd let you in on that. And you write some of the weirdest stuff, and I'm going, Siri, you said that? Like, out in public? Like, would you stand up in the middle of the fellowship and say, never? Well, you just did, right? So listen, don't render evil for evil. If somebody says something evil about you, That's on them, not on you. They've got to deal with it, not you. And listen, I don't want you just going away because some people say this, that's fine, God will get you. That's just as bad, come on. Just let it go. Let it go. Be done with it. Now, I have to tell you, before I got saved, that was a hard one for me. I could put up with a lot of stuff, but one of my famous sayings is a horrible saying. One of my favorite, favorite sayings, and I would tell people who were pushing against me, I go, you know what? It takes a lot to make me mad. But when I get mad, I'm mad forever. Isn't that ugly? It's so ugly. And I think those came out of my mouth to people. And here's the sad thing, I meant every word of it. And here's what he's saying, don't do that, don't do that. But what, what does he say instead of doing that? He says what? Pursue what is good. Put your energy into what is good. Start pursuing that, start finding that, start going after that. So somebody said something, why don't you find something good to look at? Not necessarily, I'm not telling you have to find something good in them, although that would be a good thing, but find something good and start pursuing that. And he says, listen to good, just not just for yourself, but how about this? How about good for all? How can we individually make this place, this community, a better place? By pursuing good, by being involved in that, by not returning evil for evil. Hey, if somebody comes up to you and says something nasty about you or about your community, why don't you just say, I don't want to talk to you anymore because I'm not going to return evil for evil, and if I keep talking to you, I am about to do that. So I'm gonna turn around, I'm gonna start pursuing something good, and you know what, people will quit, at least this, they'll quit talking to you, right? That's what I found, like, you know, I share with you guys all the time, nobody goes out those doors and tells me the stuff you guys talk about in the parking lot, like I don't know, right? But you don't tell me, why? Because you know what I'm gonna say to you. So you find somebody who will go along with you. Stop being the person who goes along. This is what Paul's saying. We have a responsibility as believers to stop doing that. And then, then he tells us this, man. Listen, pursue what is good for both yourselves and all. Now he goes, right? He's like been going, boom, boom. He's like, he's like got a shotgun that he's got a pump. Boom, boom. Now he's got an automatic and he's going, 
Here's what I got for you. Look at, look at, let's just read these real fast and then come back. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench your spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. That is a lot of stuff, right? But you gotta listen carefully. It's not a lot of stuff. I'm gonna read, I'm gonna read verse 23 because Verse 23 kind of tells us how we can do 12 through 22. Verse 23 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Oh, oh, how do I do 12 and 13? How do I do 14 and 15? How do I do 16 through 22? How do I do it? By yielding to God. By understanding, hey, I can't manufacture those things. We can try, but it looks really bad. When you're, when you're faking your Christianity, it looks so bad. Just telling you from the outside. It just looks really bad. But when you allow God to do those works in your life, when you allow God to make you somebody, hey, he says rejoice always. He doesn't say rejoice in everything. He says just rejoice always. Hey, you got a mess in your life. You got something train wrecking your life. You get told some news today that you never thought you would hear. He doesn't say rejoice in that news. He says just be a person who rejoices that you understand there's greater things than your circumstance. And we need to be those kind of people and we need to be people who, hey, we can tolerate the bad news when it comes. When somebody gives you something and tells you something, you don't have to be devastated by it. Why? Because you know Jesus. And here's what I always go to. Man, when I get bad news, here's what I go to. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Start singing that little kid song. And here's what happens. I start rejoicing. He loves me. So what? You can give me that, but he still loves me. God doesn't quit loving me in, the bad, in bad circumstances. God doesn't quit loving me when I, when I get the news that I never expected to hear. He still loves me. So rejoice always, right? And then pray without ceasing. Now, this is one, it was, this was one that I thought was fun with the commentators. They're trying to like figure it out. And one commentator gave everybody a pass. Here's what he said. He's not talking to all of us. He's not talking to us individually. As a corporate group, we're supposed to pray without ceasing. It's like, it's almost like he was saying it's like a relay and you start praying and you tag somebody and they pray and you tag somebody and they pray, and I'm thinking, well, that's kind of goofy. Now, I think he's really telling us we need to pray without ceasing. But so many of us, when we hear the word prayer, so many of us think of this, I have to close my eyes and bow my head. That's hard to do when you're driving, right? Hard to do when you're doing things. So we get that attitude, and some of us even think, I remember there was, a, there was an older gentleman that I used to pray with, used to talk to, and he would be in my office, and he would insist, we gotta get on our knees to pray. And I'd go, okay, you know, I, I thought, that's a little weird, but okay, if that's, that's who you are, I'll do that with you. I was younger, now, no, I don't think I'd do that. <laughs> you go down, you can't get up. But listen, and he would do that. So here's this, some of us think, if I'm praying without ceasing, I have to bow my head, close my eyes, and get on my knees. And you can't do that 24-7, can you? No, that's impossible. Can you pray without ceasing? Can you pray 24-7? Sure you can. 
It's the attitude of the heart. It's where you're at, and here's what I know. If we're not praying regularly in prayer, in times where we can really get a hold of God, you're not gonna pray without ceasing. Because you're not taking advantage of what God is giving. But if you're doing that, you're gonna be able to pray without ceasing. And, and so I think he's saying we need to have an attitude of prayer. And there's nothing that gives you the ability to rejoice always, right? Then when you're praying without ceasing, because if you're praying without ceasing, you're close to him. And then here's what's going on. If you're close to him, somebody bombards you with horrible news. You're going, it's okay. I was just talking to Jesus. And we're good. And then he says, listen, in everything give thanks. Now, listen, as he says in everything, he's not saying for everything give thanks, right? Big difference. Can I give God thanks in the midst of bad news? Sure I can. Why? Because I know God's in control. Because I know God's working. I don't thank him for that situation. Hey, when, when my doctor said, hey, your cancer's reoccurring, I didn't go, oh, praise the Lord, hallelujah. But I could give God thanks in that situation because I know my God's in control. And that's what he's talking about. So listen, he's just saying, he says, listen, in everything, and then check this out. Look at, look at the end of verse 18. This is so important. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now listen, I don't think it's just giving thanks and everything is the will of God. I think it's the rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. You want to know what the will of God is? Hey, I found out earlier in chapter 4, the will of God is sanctification and moral purity sexually. I found that out. And then here I'm finding out the will of God is to rejoice, always pray without ceasing and give thanks and everything. Hey, if you're doing those things, guess what? You're going to grow and you're gonna find out a more specific will. But so many of us, man, there's only five things you have to do to do the will of God in that, this part. There's other places, but you do those five things, your life is gonna change. Why? Because that's the will of God. That's what he wants us to do in our life. And greater than that, that's what he wants us to do in the community of believers. This is how we're supposed to function. And so he says, that's the will of God. And then he goes a little bit further and he says this, do not quench the spirit. What on earth does that mean? Well, if you're extreme Pentecostal or a charismaniac, Instead of a charismatic, I believe, I believe charismatic is good, but charismaniac, here's the thing. You think if you're not like doing weird, bizarre, mystical things, you're quenching the spirit. It's not, no. Do you know when the greatest time we quench the spirit is? I believe when God is speaking to us personally and he's showing us something and we push it aside and we push it down. That's the Holy Spirit working in our lives in a radical, transforming way, but we do this. I don't wanna hear that. Do you, ha do you ever have your quiet time and it starts getting a little serious? God starts questioning you about something and all of a sudden you realize, oh man, I'm done because I gotta go do this because you don't wanna be quiet with the Lord right there because you're going, oh man, I'm getting busted out. And you're saying, Lord, sorry, sorry, we don't have time to discuss that right now. We'll get right back with that. Just, and we do, that's, that's quenching the spirit. So listen, and, and hey, I do believe we can quench the spirit with him working 
in a, in a fellowship and working in our lives that way. But it's not just, listen, it's not just the mystical kind of things. I believe, listen, I believe one, well, look at this. He says, do not quench the spirit. What's the very next thing he says? Do not despise prophecies. I don't think he's always talking about necessarily someone giving a prophetic utterance, although that happens. But how about this? Do you ever mock and make fun of what's taught from the Bible? Do you ever leave here maybe on a Saturday night? Those of you who come on Saturday night or Sunday morning, you kind of go out maybe Thursday night. <laughs> that was so silly. Oh, you're quenching the spirit. Especially if the spirit's busting you out. Isn't it terrible when he busts you out in the middle of a sermon, in the middle of a teaching, and all of a sudden you're going, oh, no. And here's what you realize. I got to go to the bathroom. And you get up and go to the bathroom. And you leave. Listen, man, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. And then he says, test all things. Hold fast to what is good. Test things. You've heard me say, you don't have to believe everything I say. Test it. Test it according to God's word. I do not expect people to take what, what comes out of my mouth just like, okay, if Pat said it, it's got to be right. Test all things. I think we should be testers, and especially in our generation with this thing called uh, the internet. Man, you know, you guys, some of you guys are listening. I, some people tell me people they listen to, and I'm going, you've got to be kidding me. Test that. Test that by the word of God. Don't just listen to it and accept it. Test it. And he says, listen, even, even test. And then he says, what? Hold fast to that which is good. Get rid of that which is not. And then how about this? Abstain from every form of evil. Verse 22 to me is the difficult one. How do I abstain from every form of evil? When I live in this culture and this generation, it's tough. But I can make up my mind. I can make up my mind that that stuff's not gonna influence me, not come in my life. I can let it not get all the way in me Hey, sometimes it might come in my eye gate and then I gotta do something about it and I gotta check it. But here's what he's saying, man. We have a responsibility as people to make sure that we never forget what evil is. Evil is evil and it's destructive. And it's so hard in our culture. Listen, I live in the same culture you do. It's so hard right now to begin to abstain. He says, you've got to do that. And some of us, listen, it's gonna be different for all of us. It always cracks me up when people come and tell you how to live your life and how to get rid of things. You know, I know, I know for a long time in the, in the 80s, it was like, you have a television in your house? You evil person. But hey, maybe, maybe I can watch a program and, and be okay and you, don't, you watch it and it devastates you, then you know what? You gotta, you gotta be that person. You're figuring that out. And you do that. I have no right to tell you what to do. And you know, it's kind of funny because I've watched some things and I brought it up to somebody else and they go, do you know what's in that? No. It's really bad. I go, really? And they go, yeah. And I go, oh, maybe I should watch it again. Never mind. <laughs> I never recommend what to watch because some things I just go, Gaynell and I were watching something, and, and I'm not going to tell you what it was. And we're watching it, and then, and then it was kind of a serious thing, and it came on again. I said, I'm going to check that out. And she goes, no. And she goes, don't you remember? And I go, uh-uh. 
And she goes, it was bad, Pat. It was really bad. And I go, I don't remember, so let's watch it. And then about halfway through the second episode, I went, oh, now I remember. We don't want to watch this anymore. So listen, and you can, you can turn things off. So abstain, listen, abstain from every, uh, every form of evil. Then he says this, and we, we kind of read this, but I want to go over it kind of quick. Verse 23 again, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Have you ever thought who sanctifies you? Have you ever sat down and meditated on that? The God of peace sanctifies. So what does that mean? He sets us apart. He makes us unique. He makes us different. You want sanctification in your life. You gotta spend some time with him and he will sanctify you. He will do that work. You don't have to come up with a list of rules. Come on, holiness people. You love to do that. Get your list of rules. Here's what I do. Here's what you don't do. I'm holier than you. And listen, man, the God of peace sanctify you. And then I like this part. Let him sanctify you completely. And he says this. And may your whole soul or spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wow, do you know, I believe, and I know there's a, big, there's, there's a big debate. I believe we're trichotomy. I believe we're three parts as human beings. I believe we have a body. Most of us agree to that, right? And I, I call our bodies our earth suit. This is what we have to function here to get us around and, and keep us going. And then I believe we have a soul. That's our emotion. That's who we are. That's a person, that's our personhood. But I also, I believe we have a spirit. Now, some people say, no, the spirit and the soul are together. And it's okay if you, want, if you want to do that. I don't believe, I believe we have a spirit. Because here's the thing. My Bible says that I'm dead before I got saved. How am I dead? I'm walking around breathing and moving and doing things. And my soul is alive because I, I'm having emotions and stuff. What part of me is dead? My spirit. And then when you're born again, your spirit comes alive and the spirit is a part of us that relates to God and has that relationship with God. And in, in, in Hebrews, we looked at in Hebrews chapter four, it says the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword able to divide between the soul and the spirit. I use that scripture so much in my life because this, I will feel like God is telling me something. And I need to discern, is that just my emotion and my feelings, or is that the Spirit of God in me moving me? How can I find out? I use the Word of God that's sharper than a two-edged sword that can divide between that. So uh, here's what, here's, and all of that to say this. Now, you can disagree and say, no, I think we're only two parts, a, a, a dichotomy, not a trichotomy, and that's fine. You can do that. But here's what he's saying here, that our entire being would be sanctified and found blameless. Our physical and emotional, spiritual part will be found blameless when Jesus comes. That's what I want to have happen. So he says, hang out with Jesus, and then here's what he tells me in verse 24. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Wow. Do you kind of get the idea? Listen, he's given us 15 commands, more than 15. And then right now he says, he who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Are you picking up on something? You see, we have responsibility. God has given us responsibility. He's given us a brain. He's given us the ability to read, the ability to hear. And we just heard, here's some things you need to do as the body of Christ and as individuals. But here's what else I know. 
If I go that direction, God is faithful and will accomplish that in my life. You see, the Lord and I in that area of sanctification, we work together. Hey, we were sanctified completely when we were saved. That's our position in heaven. And we will be completely sanctified when he comes again and raises us from the dead. But in the meantime, we got this progressive sanctification that you and I got to walk through. And we got to change and allow him to work in. So he's going to do it. And then he says, brethren, listen, now a little bit of closing. Brethren, pray for us. Don't you love that? Don't you love Paul saying, hey, guys, don't forget to pray for us. Where's Paul when he's writing this? This is early in his ministry. He's in, he's in Corinth. He needs big prayer in Corinth, right? Pray for us. And then he says, greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. We should be practicing that. Not. Right? It's, do, some, do some research because it's interesting when they came against this. Listen, in Paul's culture, Paul's generation, this is very common. But do you know by the second century they started making it a rule in the church that men could only kiss men and women could only kiss women because people were getting a little bit lingering with their kisses and it wasn't a good thing so they had to make a little bit of a rule. And then again, by the 13th century they're going just like just do a handshake and maybe a, a, a little bit of hug. Let's stop the kissing but you understand what he's saying, right? Here's what he's saying, greet one another, right? And then I love this, I charge you by the Lord himself that this epistle, uh, that this epistle uh, be read to all the holy brethren. Wow, get up and read this. Hey, don't just get it and a few of you do it. This speaks against those who wanna like take the Bible out of the hands of the common people. Do you ever hear that? Oh, you couldn't understand. I remember as a new believer, somebody told me once, you can't understand this. I thought, bet me, man. That's like the worst thing you could have told me because I will prove to you I can't understand it. Like throw down the gauntlet. Listen, you can understand your Bible. And he says, read it to everyone. Don't you love that attitude? Now again, they would have to read it out loud. Why? Not everybody had a copy. So get together and read it. And then the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Paul starts with grace, ends with grace. Why? Because God's all about grace. But I want us to think about our own lives in light of these 15, 16, 17. I, I counted like 17 commands. But I want you to think about those. How is that playing out in your personal life? And then how does that play out in your life as part of this community? I'm assuming most of us here tonight feel like this is part of our community and we're together in this. How is that playing out in our part of the community? Not somebody else's. I want you to think about, yeah, you know, so-and-so. No, I don't care what so-and-so's doing. What are you doing? How is this looking in your life as you're partaking uh, and being part of this community? And let's start, listen, it starts with us. Don't point fingers. Don't worry about what somebody else is going to do. Let's all walk this together and do these things. And you know what, man? We'll transform. First of all, we'll transform ourselves. Second of all, we'll transform the fellowship. Third of all, we get to start transforming Sierra Vista and then Cochise County and then the state of Arizona and then the, you know, you know how it's going to go, right? Then the whole, you know, whole United States, then the world, and then maybe launch into some Mars missions and, and do some of that. Listen, we got a great, great, great opportunity. All we have to do is this. Let's be believers. Let's be a community of believers. Let's stand up and pray. Father, I...
do thank you for your word. I thank you that we read this and it's a challenge for us. And God, we look at it and, and some of it, some of it we like, some of it we don't like. And Lord, I do pray, I pray for myself, I pray for my brothers and sisters that as we're gathered here that we would just stop and not take an inventory for somebody else, not take an inventory for our spouse, not take an inventory for our kids or for our parents or however, however that direction goes. I pray that our inventory would be for us. Where are we at in our relationship with you? And where are we at in our relationship with this thing we call Calvary Chapel Sierra Vista? This community of believers. What's happening in our life individually and our life as a community. And I pray that you'd be glorified, God, that you would be exalted. Lord, thank you. Thank you for challenging us. And I'm gonna ask you to stay in the attitude of prayer for just a couple more minutes. And if you are here tonight and you've never asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart, you've never asked him to save you, in other words, maybe you're really not part of the community yet, but yet you kind of long to be part of the community. Well then, today is the day of salvation. Right now is the time to cry out, to call on his name, to let God know that you know you need salvation. If you will come openly and honestly to the Lord, he'll hear your prayer. He'll change your life. All you have to do is be real with him. You gotta let him know that you know you're a sinner and that you know your sins separate you from him, that you, all you deserve right now is his eternal wrath. That doesn't sound good. The great news is Jesus Christ came and he took the wrath that you deserve, the wrath that I deserve, and he took it upon himself and he paid the price and now he holds out this receipt that says, your debt is paid in full. It's taken care of. And tonight, all you have to do is take that, and, and here's how we're gonna do that. I'm gonna give you an opportunity. I'm gonna say a prayer. And you can say this prayer with me out loud, or you can say it silently, but you gotta mean it. It's gotta come from your heart. Call on his name. Let him know that you know you're a sinner. Let him know that you understand he died for your sins and ask him to come into your life. So I'm gonna say this prayer, and again, you can say it out loud or quietly or silently. Hey, if you're backslidden, come home. Come back to Jesus. If you're watching online, wherever you're at, you can say this prayer. You don't have to be in this building. Say the prayer where you're at tonight. Jesus, I confess to you that I am a sinner. I'm sorry, God, that I sinned against you. Right now, I'm asking you to forgive me. Jesus, thank you for dying for my sin. Thank you for your forgiveness. And right now, I'm asking you, come into my heart and change me. Jesus, come into my life and guide me. Tonight, I want you to be my Lord and my Savior.